CBS Monday. NCIS! Here's where we can see them. NCIS and NCIS Hawaii return with all new cases. Double tap to the chest, one to the head. These guys are professionals. All new criminals. Finally, finally, they got here. Walk in the paradise. And all new crimes to be solved. If you're watching this, I've been arrested. What are the charges? Just one. Murder. New NCIS and NCIS Hawaii, Monday, starting at 9, 8 central, on CBS, and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. And just like that, we're back. It's another edition of the Late Kick Extra podcast. I'm Josh Pate. It's Tuesday morning, as I record at least, July 13th, the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm just going to try a different format this morning. Here's what I'm going to do. I want to get into the first question within 30 seconds. It's wall-to-wall college football mailbag, by the way. And then I got just a whole bunch of news to mix in with a really, really deep mailbag. So let's dive in, and we're just going to mix up the chit-chat throughout. Clayton starts us off. I remember towards the end of last year, you mentioned how LSU's roster was in disarray due to transfers, graduates, allegations. You mentioned how it seemed beyond repair. Now they have, according to you, a championship caliber roster and are, according to you, one of the most dangerous teams in the country. Well, what changed? What did LSU do to go from disarray to championship potential between December 2020 and now? Well, Clayton, on one sense, all that changed is you took the Etch-A-Sketch and you moved the little cursor from left to right. And for those of you unfamiliar, that just erases everything that you can see. Let me emphasize that last little phrase there, that you can see. So what we saw last year in December, since you brought up December, was 5-5. Five and five. That was the record, Clayton. So now we fast forward, and what have we done? Well, we've moved the cursor and we've erased it, so it goes from 5-5 five and five to 0-0. Zero and zero. Now let's go through your question. You said... All of a sudden, I called them a championship caliber roster. Well, I do agree with that. Well, obviously, I agree with what I said. But what I'm telling you is the maximum capability of that roster is that of winning a championship. If their quarterback situation gets figured out, if they get plus to really, really good quarterback play elsewhere, there aren't a ton of deficiencies. Offensive line, maybe, but but even that's relative. And so when you look at the defensive back talent, when you look at the wide receiver talent, when you look at the defensive front, that's a team that's capable of contending for a national championship, which is why I say they have a championship caliber roster. And the way I phrased it is I don't see a ceiling on LSU. The ceiling is literally they could win a title. But I've also said in the same breath, there's not a floor on them. Now let's go to the ugly potential downside. Clayton, it could be, for all we know, that nothing has changed. If we were to go worst-case scenario, we watch LSU take the field in Week 1 against UCLA, and they perform every bit as poorly as they did against Mississippi State last year in Week 1, and famously got blown out. They had people calling K.J. Costello a Heisman Trophy favorite. The dude didn't even end the year. Do you remember how violently that shifted, by the way? K.J. Costello throws for I don't know how many touchdowns against LSU, but what I do remember is over the next handful of games, he threw one touchdown and eight interceptions. He got benched. He went from Heisman Trophy favorite to not even being the starter there. So anyway, if that were to happen to UCLA, the answer to your question, Clayton, would be nothing's changed. But the point is, we go from knowing in 2020, by December, we knew what we had with LSU. Well, every year, that whole hope springs eternal thing, well, when you have a good roster, that's true. You have every reason to be excited. If you're an LSU fan, if I'm an LSU fan, and I live down in Thibodeau, for example, I'd be very excited about this team, but I'd also have some cautious pessimism way in the back of my mind, because I know our problems last year, and I know it's very hard to solve those overnight, and I also know how hard it is to install a a new quarterback potentially with also new systems on offense and a new system on defense 
There's a lot of new there. But the difference, with Clayton, with, with LSU is the roster. That's the anomaly. Normally, when we're talking about teams in this context, it's a rebuild they have on their hands. When you're coming off a 5-5 five and five season and you have a, well, a 500 season, no one ever goes 5-5, five and five, but when you come off a 500 season like they had last year and there's a whole lot of turnover, normally that equals rebuild. This is the really rare exception to the rule where you got a program that doesn't necessarily have to rebuild. They could get right back in the fast lane. They have that potential. But I call them a championship caliber roster for that reason. I call them the most dangerous team in the country for the same reason. They're dangerous because they're not going to be ranked in anyone's top 10 this year, but they have championship potential just from a raw talent standpoint. That's the one that's very dangerous. It's not dangerous when no one knows what to think of you and you have marginal three-star average talent across the board. Well, you have a ceiling on your program that's below championship caliber at that point. LSU doesn't have that ceiling. So that's all I mean, Clayton. That's not a that's not a prediction. I have not made my prediction on LSU football yet. That'll come next month. As for now, yes, I believe they have championship roster potential, which means next to nothing. It's just one of the things you have to have as a prerequisite. But secondly, yeah, because of that, I do feel like they're very dangerous. So now that we've settled in a little bit, we're four and a half, five minutes into the podcast. Good morning. Good afternoon. I come bearing good news again. I'm thumbing through our numbers this morning, every Monday morning. So it was 24 hours old by the point I was looking at it. Every Monday morning, our buddy Lance, he updates our podcast numbers here. And again, as I've told you before, and this is not hard to figure out, in the college football media world, you get through spring practice, and then you got May and June and July to get through, and everyone just figures, well, here come our numbers plummeting, as usual, off a cliff in the offseason. Since we don't recognize it, though, our audience didn't either. So I've told you we were up 15% month over month, 25% up two month over month, and now I'm looking at our July numbers, and even though we're not even halfway through the month, we're up, I think, 1,100 more downloads per episode this month than last month when we were already seeing phenomenal growth. Now, that pales in comparison to the total amount of people who listen to it already, but just to give you context of how good 1,100 more downloads per episode is this month than last month, we should be seeing thousands less per episode. That's what the metrics normally tell us. Uh, The metrics have been ripped up and thrown in the nearest garbage can by you guys, so I want to thank you, firstly, secondly, and thirdly for that. And I also want to tell you, as we can clearly see in those numbers, you are doing the marketing for us. I don't know who you've told. I don't know if it's your grandma listening. I don't know if it's your cousin Ebert listening. I just appreciate it. Grandma and Ebert both. I appreciate you guys listening. And now you do the job and you spread the word because boy, I'd really love to keep our marketing budget at $0 around here. It's so convenient. And as a result, we'll keep the show free, but just really eye-opening good traffic. It gets a lot of people's attention Um, people are talking about it, even though you don't always see a press release about it. So thank you so much for that. Now let's move it on. That's not the last housekeeping item I have, but as I said, trying out some new format ideas, I'm going to mix them up throughout the podcast. Let's go to Braden. He's up next. He said, I've always thought that the West Virginia job, maybe excluding Oklahoma and Texas is the best coaching job in the big 12. Certainly the most underrated. What do you think? I wouldn't have a problem if you called it the most underrated. I don't know where I'd rank it because here's what you have to think about. You have to think about where Baylor or TCU reside, and you have to understand they have maybe the advantage of being in Texas, so you can draw some of that Texas recruiting advantage. Although, as I mentioned on the last Late Kick Live, or if you listen to it here, the last podcast product you had, maybe that advantage has dwindled a little bit as it relates to recruiting in Texas. But also, I think, if I'm reading this right, Braden, 
what you're saying is West Virginia is at an advantage because they're recruiting from a different talent pool. They're a thousand miles away from their closest Big 12 competition. I don't know if people realize that. It's somewhere between 900 and 1,000 miles. So the downside is every road trip you take is a long road trip. The, the average road trip for West Virginia is one of the longest you would ever take in the SEC. Sometimes you go several years without flying 1,000 miles to go to a game. The only time you'd really do it, what would it be like? Florida going to Missouri or A&M going to South Carolina? Those are average lengths of road trips. Now, the Pac-12 listeners are saying, yeah, welcome to our world. You know what it's like for Washington State to have to go to Tempe, Arizona? Uh, no, we don't, actually. I can imagine, but no, they don't know what it's like down here. So I I think, yes, there's something to that, but you have to brand West Virginia. And that's what Neil Brown's in the process of doing. I've talked to Wilfong about this a couple of times over the last few months. West Virginia is getting their footing a little bit. They need some results on the field this year, but they're sitting number 25 right now in the 24-7 sports team rankings. That's not bad. I mean, that's ahead of a program like Florida, for example. That will do me no favors to the people who think I hate Florida, even though I spent an entire segment defending them the other day. But that's ahead of Clemson. I understand this is not going to remain static, but just to give you an idea of where they are right now, they have 13 commits, so they still have some room themselves to climb. I agree that a generation ago, I think people who are younger would be surprised at how much juice West Virginia football had. I mean, when Rich Rodriguez was there, think about a lot of those classic Thursday night games. It felt like for a while, teams like West Virginia, they owned that Thursday night slot, but they were good. I mean, they were a legitimate national championship BCS caliber program. Obviously, times are a little tougher, but I do think the right coaching staff can harness that. And that's another, that's another place that has a unique bubble of culture. The West Virginia football culture, it's unique to any other place in the country. One of, as I've told you many times, the things I love the most about college football are bubbles of culture. If you were to go to UCLA and you were to go to West Virginia, that might as well be Uranus and Jupiter. But yet they both reside in the same sport. It's what I love about college football and why I would love to see it stay that way. And so if you, but my point is you got to get the right guy in there. Bill Stewart, a lot of people thought he may be the right guy just because he felt like West Virginia. Well, he wasn't. It takes more than that, but it does take that. So Neil Brown, people loved him. When he was down at Troy, I was about an hour and a half north of him in Columbus working in TV. Couldn't find a person to say a bad thing about Neil Brown. And likewise, right now, they love him up there. It's just a little bit of a rebuild. Uh, they've got to get culture right, their internal culture. They've got to get it right. They're in the process of doing that. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't push back on that, Braden. Next up is Casey. Casey says, I'm studying broadcast journalism. I'll be graduating next spring. Aside from my degree, what would you say is the number one factor in making it in sports media? Well, Casey, I, it's a good question. So I think a lot of people would say talent, and that is not the answer to me at all. I've been thinking about that. I just read a book. I've been thinking about this for a reason. So I just read a book called Grit by Angela Duckworth. A lot of you have probably already read that. Really good book. And it perfectly encapsulates what I've always believed about making it really anywhere. It just articulated it better than I have in my own mind even. I think talent's an excuse. You can apply this to any walk of life. I think talent is used as an excuse way more than it's used as an accurate descriptor. And so think about what you do for a living, uh, think, not, not just pro sports. A lot of us, since we're listening to a college football podcast, you may tend to channel this towards sports. But the bottom line is sports, pro sports are the total exception to the rule. Pro, uh, being a pro football player, like if, you're, if you want to be a wide receiver, 
Yes, there are certain physical limitations that could keep you from being that no matter how tough you are, no matter how gritty you are. But that's the exception. I mean, being a pro football player, being a pro athlete, that's one of the very few professions on planet Earth where there are actual minimum physical baseline requirements you have to have. If you're five foot three and you can't break a five, five forty to save your life, hey, that is what it is, man. But if you think about 98% of the jobs out there in careers, they have nothing to do with athleticism. And so it, it has a lot to do with what's in you at that point. And so what I've noticed, I used to notice it when I was working in radio, TV. I notice it now. When people are not where they want to be, they tend to look at the folks who are where they want to be and they say, man, look at that talent. I'm not saying those people don't have talent. I'm telling you they're not where they are normally because of just sheer talent. They're where they are because they have enough talent. They had that prerequisite baseline talent, however much it takes to do whatever they're doing. But then they've just got grit. That's what Angela Duckworth would call it. But grit is just, it's essentially a combination of passion, perseverance. It's just moving forward every day, gaining one more yard every day. Now, that's my words, not hers, but it's the way to look at it. But that stuff sounds so boring because folks want to believe there's this magic one unicorn formula out there. There's this one big thing that gets someone to the top of whatever profession it is they're in. And it's just not the way it works. I've observed it, guys. That's not the way it works. The way it works is you master these mundane day-to-day aspects and you just keep stacking great days on top of each other. And you're doing the stuff that you don't really particularly get a lot of enjoyment out of doing in and of themselves, but yet they contribute to achieving a task that does bring you a lot of enjoyment. Back in the day when I played high school baseball, I'll give you a perfect example. One day we were off messing around down in the cage and a coach came down there and he said, you're never gonna be what you can be if you don't learn to work when I'm not looking. And at the time, I'm a freshman in high school. That's just hollow. That's coach speak. But what he was talking about was there were a couple of guys on our team that did not let up when a coach wasn't watching. They didn't need a coach looking at them. When coaches are looking at you, everyone's working hard. I mean, that's an idiot can figure that out. But when they're not looking at you and you're down there taking your 38th cut off the tee and it's gloomy and it's cold and you just want to go home, That kind of stuff is what separates people, but it's so boring to talk about. Process over result, that stuff's so boring to talk about. So Casey, I could go for five hours on this. My point is, do not sit there and think talent alone is what's going to decide anything. Don't look at the people in an enviable position and say to yourself, well, they got talent. I mean, they're more talented than I am. I could never get there. That's not it. That is just not it. And just as sure as I'm telling Casey this, it applies to me, but it applies to you driving around in Des Moines, Iowa right now. Or maybe you're down in Valdosta, Georgia, let's say. Uh, Let's pick a third. You know, where are we going to go? Let's go to uh, Springfield, Illinois, or Missouri, whichever one. And you want to get somewhere. You're just spinning your wheels, though. Well, ask yourself, how how good have you gotten at mastering those little mundane aspects of day-to-day life? It's a blessing to be around athletics because it teaches you these lessons and you don't even know you're being taught them. But it's an even bigger blessing to be around pro athletes and to be around high-level college athletes. And, I mean, if you really, really get blessed enough to be able to talk like I do to people like Nick Saban, do you know how much those conversations are worth? <laughs> Especially the off-the-record before we go live. Because those guys... It's almost it's almost robotic to them to say the sorts of things I'm saying right now. It's just their life. They've lived it for decades and decades. 
but it's so crazy to see someone in their element. And the longer, the more years you stack on top of each other of just doing day to day, those mundane things at a high level. And then you get the accumulation that comes with that. You see why some people separate themselves so much, not overnight, but over time. And it becomes habit for people who haven't done it the right way to look at the people who have done it the right way. And they say, boy, look at that talent, man. If I had that talent, you do in all likelihood, you do have enough talent. Maybe what you haven't done is you haven't gotten that grit formula figured out. And that's all that separates you from the people who have made it. So Casey, figure out passion and perseverance and to do them and to maximize them, make sure you're pursuing something you want to do. That's the last thing. You said you're studying journalism. I assume it's because you have a passion for it. Make sure you got that passion for it because what it takes to make it in this business or make it to the top of any relatively competitive field, you're just not going to be able to pull off if you don't have that passion because there are going to be too many people who have the grit and the passion that you are going heads up against for jobs. But it's very rewarding if you can do it. It's very rewarding. So don't think for a second I'm trying to turn you off from it. Just make sure you want to do it. I did want to update you guys. Uh, Tim, three or four weeks ago, I read you a little email I had from one of our listeners, and a lot of you have been asking me for an update. So Tim uh, was a guy who was going through cancer, and he was talking about how he looks forward to the podcast every week, so that just touched me. But then also he gave an update, and I read it on air, but then I kind of didn't mention a follow-up. So a lot of you guys have emailed me. So Tim has another procedure coming up. He is undergoing chemo right now. So those of you who were wanting an update, there's the update. Now, as we always do around here, we foster the community environment. So one of us is every one of us. And so Tim is requesting prayers and just keep them in your thoughts. And um, I will give you an update when it is warranted. But right now, that's what I'll say. Just remember Tim. That's what I'll say. He and his family, just remember them. All right, let's move it on. Let's go to Coach A. Coach A said, how do you think the change in strength and conditioning has affected Alabama? Obviously, it was a major story last year when Scott Cochran went to Georgia. All I've heard, however, is the improvement to Alabama players. Well, I wondered, what is your opinion on this situation and any impact on the future? Do any of you remember when this happened? It was when we had first started late kick at 24-7 at least. And Scott Cochran left Alabama and they's, he's going to Georgia. So in the South, really nationally, not just the South, it was viewed as a striking blow for Kirby Smart to Nick Saban. And the reason I made such a big deal about it is because internally at Alabama, they could not have looked at it any more differently than the public was looking at it. And at Georgia, they knew the same thing. They knew they had not dealt any striking blow to Alabama. They weren't even hiring Cochran for the same role he was performing at Alabama. I told you, I thought it was going to be a great thing for both programs because you were going to get Scott Cochran in and he was going to be a recruiting advantage because he was going to be able to be on the road recruiting. He was going to have a special teams role, which could put him on the road. He was never able to do that at Alabama. And he's done good things for him. Uh, down in Florida at IMG, I think they have him involved there. So you don't always see it front and center on the headlines. But Scott Cochran has been a good addition for Georgia's recruiting infrastructure. But at Alabama, uh, dude, they are, they are so night and day better from a sports science and a strength and conditioning perspective. And that's what I think took people by surprise Scott Cochran had gotten a little notoriety about himself and he had kind of uh, developed a cult following and he was always visible on the sidelines. Well, that's marketing. That doesn't always mean you're at the forefront of your field. And at one time he was, but what had happened, Nick Saban knew it. 
uh, they had fallen behind. I've spoken about this before. I won't go down that road again, but they had fallen behind even teams in their division. They had a lot of soft tissue injuries. Uh, they had a lot of joint-related injuries. They did not know, when I say they, I mean Nick Saban. Like, I spoke to him about this earlier this year. He is man enough to say, I'm not an expert in that field. I'm not a doctor. But we knew changes had to be made. And so I'm not telling you Saban said, get out of here, go find another job, and Cochran went to Georgia. I'm saying when it happened, there were already moves being made. There were already plans in motion. There were going to be changes there. I don't know what that would have meant for Cochran. I'm just telling you there were going to be changes there regardless. Well, when Cochran leaves, it opens the door for Matt Ray and David Ballou to come in from Indiana. And they had come to Indiana by way of IMG Academy. Second shout out for IMG here. Even when they were at IMG in Bradenton, Florida, I was already hearing stuff about them. A lot of college coaches were already raving about them because what would happen is assistant coaches would go to IMG and they would be scouting high school players and they would get a taste of what kind of sports science programs they had in place and what kind of training programs they had in place. And a lot of these college coaches started to realize, whoa, um, I think they're more advanced at this high school than we are at our college. And it was inevitable. It was only a matter of time. Indiana hires them. And then people started to say it about Indiana. It's no coincidence, by the way, folks. Where's Indiana ranked in your top 25 this year? What did Indiana do last year? Well, what do you think that's residue from? And so now that same duo is at Alabama and they're being handed the best athletes in the country. I would draw your attention to Najee Harris. Najee Harris is a perfect encapsulation of what these guys are capable of. Najee Harris was not a true freshman last year. You had already seen a couple of years of him, and he was he was a very good player, former number one running back in the country. But Najee Harris was not a first-round draft pick kind of guy when he entered last year. He had a condensed offseason with those two. They upped his explosive rate. They upped his first cut ability and explosiveness out of the break rate. They gave him, I think, a little bit better top-end speed, I just think he moved better. I, I, when you watch Najee Harris hit the hole, he did it a little bit differently last year than he had in previous years. And so you either watched him and thought, oh, he must be healthy now, or you watched him if you knew what was going on behind the scenes and thought, oh my goodness, even these elite players who have already been here a little while, this strength and conditioning duo that Nick Saban hired, they're already having an impact. Well, now Coach A asks the question, what does it mean for the future that is what I'm looking forward to with them this year, because this will be the first full year that that coaching tandem, that strength and conditioning tandem has had an, an entire summer and an entire uninterrupted spring and winter conditioning period with the roster they're going to put on the field in the fall. So watch them this fall, because I guarantee you it will be the most athletic looking version of Alabama you've ever seen. And you may think to yourself, well, they, how higher can they go? They won a title last year. No, this year's team hadn't done anything. Last year's team won a title. The question in your mind should be, how do you lose all the talent they lost and repeat? And that could be one of the answers because they are no longer behind anyone. They are, again, setting the pace in what is the most burgeoning aspect of this entire industry. While everyone talks about NIL, no, what's really happening is sports science and strength and conditioning it has totally evolved even over the last decade. Over the last five years, guys, it's totally different. And what's funny about the Alabama strength and conditioning guys is they put everything out on Twitter. And I, you know, I, 
I'll talk to someone about it and they'll say, it doesn't really matter. We don't have anything to hide. And by the way, if another program's copying us, they're already going to be left behind because we're learning and implementing new things up here every day to where what we are doing will be old to us this time next year and this time two years from now, which is a really, it's a really funny way to, to go about it. But it's also a really revolutionary way to go about it. All right, Kenneth is up next. Kenneth has a question about NIL that a lot of you have asked. I mean, this is the number one question I get about NIL. So let's toss it to break and then we'll hit this on the other side. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Greetings, Fantasy Warriors. I'm Heath Cummings, your guide to fantasy dominance on FFT Dynasty. Join me this offseason where mock drafts become epic showdowns and every pick shapes your legacy. If, if I was Adam, with the team that he's built, Will Levis makes so much more sense. And that's not all. We're peeling back the curtain on the future with our exclusive 2024 NFL Draft Prospect Profiles. Uncover hidden gems that'll elevate your roster to legendary status. Puka Nakua. After Cooper Cup, we really have no idea who's going to get the targets. Keaton Mitchell of East Carolina. Explosive speed is ridiculous. This isn't just a podcast. It's a playbook for champions. Subscribe to FFT Dynasty now, and together, we'll conquer the fantasy football frontier. Your dynasty journey starts here. All right, we're back here. Kenneth has a question I get a whole lot, so let's just go through it together. Kenneth says, where do you think NIL is going to stop? And what I mean is a lot of these high school recruits are being nationally looked at by their sophomore years in high school. I'm just trying to figure out, I understand that kids get scholarships for their sports and their names are always being mentioned on TV. But to me, the whole reason to be in college is to get an education. Now they're not even going to worry about getting educated. So Kenneth, it may sound like I'm being a little combative in my response. I'm not. A lot of people feel this way. I just have a different point of view. I've, let me put it to you like this. I kind of hesitate in how I want to answer it. So let me put it to you like this. I am of the Cardale Jones school of philosophy on this. Cardale Jones once famously told a reporter, we ain't come here to play no school. And even in the grammatical butchering of the sentence itself, it spoke to what Cardale Jones was at Ohio State for. We are not under you, me, anyone else. We are not under any misguided notion that Cardale Jones went to Ohio State for the educational benefit. I don't have a problem with that. I think the, I think the difference lies in how we view the educational experience in college. I've just never had a problem understanding kids go to college when they're playing football to major in football. I've always believed football should be a major for them. I've believed it should exist as a department. And you can teach courses on financial literacy in that department. And you can teach ethics courses in that department. But you can also teach marketing courses. You can teach things that basically extend outside of just the playing field in this world of college football that prepare guys for a lifetime in the sport that they're already committed to playing anyway. And let them choose that. If they don't want to choose that, if they want to be a finance major, then let them be a finance major. If they want to go to law school, that's fine. But most football players are, number one, only getting to that college for their athletic prowess. And number two, that's what they're interested in. 
So, Kenneth, I don't look at this the same way as I look at someone going to Columbia to study law. It's just a different world. They're different people. They're different philosophies, different approaches. So, Kenneth, I ask you this. I would ask anyone this because I know a lot of people feel the way Kenneth does, and that's fine. Again, it's okay, believe it or not, for us to disagree or to view this thing differently. But I just ask this. For anyone out there who's saying, these guys, they go to college to get their degree, and I'm just worried that too much focus is being put on the whole football aspect of it. Here's how I think about it. I mean, I've sat in many a press box. I've stood on many a sideline. I've watched many a game on TV. How many of you, be real with me now, when it is 17 to 16, time's winding down in the fourth quarter, and it is third and seven on the opposition's 27-yard line, and that ball snapped, and that tight end spills out into the flat, and he extends one-handed catch, and he stretches that ball, and maybe he reached that first down line. Maybe he didn't. Here come the chains. How many of you are wondering what his GPA is in that moment? Because I am honest enough to tell you, I don't care. If he's eligible, if he's met the baseline requirement, I don't care. Because what he's there to do is exactly what we're sitting on pins and needles waiting to see if he succeeded in doing. And that is play football. And if he wants to achieve more than that academically, that's fine. But I don't have a problem with a kid who otherwise would not be at the University of Georgia or the University of Texas focusing on the thing that got him there because focusing on the thing that got him there is also the best route to get him eventually where he wants to go, which is the NFL. And Kenneth, let me tell you, I cannot stress enough. There are a lot of guys who don't necessarily have this entire life thing figured out and they go to college and they're just focused on football and they don't take academics seriously that end up becoming very successful in life financially and then in the business world and they have a family of their own and they're able to mentor and teach young people 20 years down the road and they're able to say, look, son, right now you're 20 years old and you just got on campus and you think this is it. And let me tell you, it's not it. Now, I was in your position. Fortunately, I made it. But I wish I could go back and tell 20-year-old me how much I didn't know and how serious I wish I could have taken academics. But even if I didn't take them seriously there, how big the world is out there and how much you have to learn. I've watched guys. I've talked with guys who didn't have their stuff together. Kenneth, I've talked to the guys you're describing, actually. The mere fact that football is there as a vehicle for them to make it to make something of themselves in life when they don't necessarily have everything else figured out could lead to them being a glowing pillar of an example down the road for, let's say, anywhere from 12 to 20 to 100 kids in similar positions to look up to down the road. And I would ask, if football wasn't there, what would he otherwise have turned into? So I guess my approach is different than yours, Kenneth, in that I I don't think that football players are always in college for the educational experience. There are many who take it very seriously, more power to them. I'm not, I, I, I applaud that. I just don't think it's the only way. And it's not the only way to make it either. So the, the change I would make is I would let you major in football. And now that I think about it, I'll also say this, Kenneth, I think you may actually get the opposite of what you think you're going to get. With NIL in play now, money's in play for kids at a younger age. And while that may rub you the wrong way initially, I want you to think about the educational aspect. Well, there's never been more incentive for guys to learn lessons earlier in life. Money management, uh, chief among them, economics, but also management and compartmentalization in life and having your priorities in check because there's more risk. There's more skin in the game now than ever before for your typical high school junior, senior, college freshman and junior and sophomore. I didn't go in the right order there, but I've talked to many people. I've talked to players. 
I think this is going to have the opposite impact that people expect. People expect, oh, there's going to be money flying around and they're going to be so careless. I, I would, inc- well, I guess some, some of you may not be able to do this. If you can, I would encourage you to listen to some of these guys talk. Uh, they're much sharper than you think they are. When they're, when they're talking about this stuff, and it's because they've sought out guidance. And let me also leave you with this, and I can't go much deeper in this. There are a lot of different sectors of business that are going to be given rise to to facilitate that kind of educational experience and that kind of knowledge that's necessary now to equip those guys to, to manage themselves and to make those decisions. They're gonna, there's going to be a lot of good and a lot of good people that contribute a lot of good to this. I just I think it's going to have the opposite effect. I think guys are going to look after themselves more than they ever have before. They're going to value that experience and that education opportunity more than they ever have before. And the the reason is no different than you and I, Kenneth. It's because money is on the line. I mean, that's the reason we all go to college anyway. We all want to set ourselves up to benefit the most financially in the long run so we can retire as early as possible. Well, that's no different than these guys. Uh, they just have a little bit different access to it. <laughs> you know, Milo's Sweet Tea is not sponsoring you or I. Hey, maybe. Never know. Who knew that I was going to get a, a great big package of Hanes stuff in the mail this past week? Who knew that when I put out the call to action on a late kick a couple of weeks ago, one of the biggest companies in uh, the... I better shut up. W- listen, w- we could have, let's say we could have some partnerships on late kick in the future, but the average person doesn't have access to that, I know. But the approach in trying to achieve the same goal, I think, is no different. So there you go, Kenneth. Probably went five minutes longer than I should, but there you go. Davis is up next. Me and my friends have talked about traveling at night or during the day for our long road trips. And we both agreed traveling at night is more peaceful, less problematic. Do you do the same or do you like starting your road trips during the day? Davis, if I can, I never travel during the day. I go back and forth to Georgia a lot. I have to leave tonight, actually. I'm recording this on Tuesday. We've actually had another close friend of ours pass away. That's two in two weeks. Not been a fun time back home, but I have to drive back tonight. So, um... I always do it at night because I feel like my work, I normally get done working by 10 p.m. most days, but I don't go to sleep until like one or two. And so I view the nighttime hours as largely hours that I can do what I want with. Whereas if I'm driving during the day, I really feel like I waste time because time driving, I mean, it's time that you can't focus on other things. But at night, I mean, nighttime driving, yes, it's a lot less congested on the roads. I think the music sounds better at night. I just think you get into a flow. I feel like I get where I'm going quicker at night than I do during the day. I don't know why, but I feel that way. So yeah, Davis, I would endorse that approach to life. Jeff is up. He said, last week you had a segment saying Ryan Day would be your guy for the next five years if you couldn't have Nick Saban. And I was curious about your thoughts on Mario Cristobal. Do you think he has all the tools as a recruiter, a developer of talent, great culture, good game day coach, etc.? With the NIL in place, do you see him staying at Oregon long term? Jeff, let me go in reverse order here. Whether Mario stays at Oregon long term, I think is out of Oregon's hands. I think it's in the Pac-12's hands. I do not think if Mario Cristobal elevates to being one of the true elite coaches in college football and the Pac-12 maintains its inferior status, I do not think he's going to stay at Oregon. I could be wrong on that. That's nothing he's told me. But just think along with me. Even if you're an Oregon fan, be honest with yourself. If you rose to the top level of your profession, but your attachment to a larger body, this case a conference, if your attachment to that conference cut the legs out from under your ability to achieve as a program at the highest level, and it offered you inferior resources and inferior access and inferior exposure, would you stay there? 
I think the answer in most cases would be no. So if the new commissioner in the Pac-12 resurrects the conference, then I don't think Oregon's going to have a problem because otherwise there's a ton of advantage to being at Oregon. Now with Mario recruiting, we won't even waste time with that. He's a phenomenal recruiter. Great culture. I think they have that too. I'm not going to waste time with that. Game day approach and also development. Those are the two aspects that I think still need to evolve there. I'm not saying they're negatives either side, but I don't think they're elite there yet. But I also, it's very young. Mario Cristobal is still a very young head coach. And so that's where they should be, is my point. I mean, we find that elsewhere. At Georgia with Kirby Smart, they're saying the same thing. They're talking about development and they're talking about game day coaching acumen. Well, you know what that's tied to? Youth. As a head coach, it's tied to youth, man. And there's only one way to gain that. There is no microwave mentality that gets you where you want to go quicker than you can. You just have to have experience. And Mario Cristobal learns every single day, just like the greats do. I, I remember when we were talking to him last, oh, when would that have been? It was around this time last year. And he was, I was on Zoom with him. And you know he's got a bunch of notebooks in the background. He showed me a notebook that was just from a month of a year. And he flipped through it. Not slow enough where I could read it, but he was flipping. He said, look at this. You know what this is? This is from like July of 2019. And it's just notes that he takes and they reflect on. And I'm sure he has a lot of quality control staff that type up mainly the big takeaways from that. But he's an observer. And you got to learn from your observation and your experience. So the development of talent, that's key. And you'll see a lot of that on display this year. For better or for worse, you'll see a lot of that this year. They should have their best team they've had so far this year. And it should be obvious when you watch them play. But that and the game day stuff. Like, I'd like to see them take a step forward offensively. And a lot of that has to do with Joe Moorhead. And now he's there one full year. So, you know, it's a lot of remains to be seen sort of stuff that we say about a lot of programs this time of year. But I really hope the answers to all those are yes. Because the Pac-12 badly needs someone to step up. And if Southern Cal's not going to do it, Oregon has to be the one to do it. In an ideal world, you have multiple programs doing that. That's how the ideal world works. All right, good podcast. I have uh, got a lot to do today, but I so appreciate the traction we're getting here. And let me ask you this. Do you want this podcast to remain free? I hear universal yeses. One of you weirdos said no. You'd like to pay for it. No, 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 no. We want to keep it free. And what do you have to do to keep it free? Uh, this is it. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram, at LateKickJosh. Five-star reviews. We're approaching 1,600. I would imagine, I'm going to put it in your hands, but I would imagine we can have 1,600 five-star reviews by the next podcast. And that is about it. I mean, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Like These are the things, none of them cost you a penny, that we have to do to keep this podcast and this show free. Easy enough, I think. There's no catch, by the way. Someone hit me up the other day and said, my girlfriend hears you say that when I'm listening to the podcast and says there's got to be a catch to that. Well, there's no catch. Normally there is. I would, I would caution you to keep your guard up when someone talks about that and it's going to stay free, blah, blah, blah. But in this case, it really will stay free as long as we do as an audience what we need to do. I say we because, yes, I gave our own podcast a five-star review. I'm not too proud to admit it. Without me, we would only be at 1,591 five-star reviews. So thank you for that. Thank you for everything that you're doing. Going to have a great build-up to the season. Got a lot in the works. Just it's very close. It's very close. Working on it late last night. Very close. Just uh, stay tuned, as they say in the biz. So for producer, either Lance or Jordan, who knows who's going to get their hands on this when I hand it off. But it'll be out very shortly. I know that. I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much for listening. Have yourselves a great rest of your day, and God bless. 
Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Is that all the, oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramount Plus.